Heather Church family, it's good to be with you today through the video as we look at Jonah chapter 2. That's where we were this past Sunday, and so I'll try to go a little more in depth or just have a discussion around Jonah chapter 2 and the, and the sermon from this week. And so I hope you were there and able to listen to the sermon. If you weren't, it should be online that you could watch it before this video to get a grasp on what we were going through. Uh, but in Jonah chapter 1, we see kind of the the story of Jonah unfolding, how he was disobeying God, not doing what God had called him to do, to go to this city of Nineveh. So he flees, gets on a ship to go really to the opposite side of the world as far as he can go. And God causes a storm to come up, causes big problems on the ship, obviously. They cast lots, it falls to Jonah. And Jonah's like, yeah, I'm at fault here. This is why. And so the men end up tossing him overboard. And it says, when they toss him overboard, that the sea actually then calmed. But there's a verse at the very end of Jonah, chapter 1, that is hard to miss because it says how the Lord provided a fish and the fish swallowed Jonah. And it says, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And so you kind of end there <clears throat> in chapter 1 with quite a crazy story, wondering, well, <laughs> What does that look like? What does that mean? You know, if you just stop there. And when you get to chapter 2, we find a prayer. It says, while Jonah was in the fish, there was this prayer that he that he prays. And so that's what we looked at this week in Jonah chapter 2 was, was the prayer of, of Jonah. I want to ask you guys this, though. When studying Scripture, it's easy to go off on rabbit trails. And in Jonah in particular, we could definitely go off on rabbit trails. But I don't mm -hmm. think that's always a bad thing. But how do we gauge, when studying, when studying a passage, how do we gauge when maybe we're studying something too far that maybe is not really the focus or what we should be? Because there are some interesting questions that come up in Jonah even at this point, right? So the fish is always a big question that people <clears throat> ask. What was this? And then you start asking the question, how could this even be? How could a guy... How could, a, how could you be swallowed by the fish for three days and you're still alive? Is the fish underwater? Is there air inside the fish so that Jonah's breathing? And there's the question, was Jonah actually dead? And the miracle that was performed was that when he got vomited out, God brought him back to life. Was, was that happening? Was that taking <clears throat> Okay, so there's a bunch of different questions that are... Would you guys... Okay, first, would you say it's fair to try to answer those questions? Is it worthy time in studying to try to seek out answers to those questions? I mean, I would say <clears throat> maybe to a certain extent, but um, uh, I mean, I guess there, there could be um, studied. I mean, I guess there are questions that you can ask and think about, but the reality is, is the text itself doesn't give us too many clues Mm -hmm. as to how that actually all worked out. And it's actually, what's interesting actually about, for instance, the fish thing in Jonah, is the fish is basically, <clears throat> serves as a bracket for Jonah's prayer. Right. Um, yep. So the fish doesn't actually play a, a major role mm -hmm. necessarily. He's th The fish is there, God uses the fish. But um, the, the writer of the book of Jonah didn't consider the details of how this all happened to be pertinent to his story. So when we're reading the Bible, one of the helpful things to think about whenever we're approaching any part of the book is that the details the author gives us are the details the author thinks are, are important for us to know to make the point he's trying to make. 
And so while it's okay to ask questions about, well, what kind of fish could this be or, or questions about that, um, we don't want to let those questions overtake the bigger thing yeah. that we're supposed to be after, which is what is the point um, that, the, that the author is giving, wanting us to go after. And, um, and whenever we study this section of Scripture, for instance, right there, we realize the fish actually plays a quite minor role. And the bigger thing is what God is doing to Jonah mm -hmm. and bringing Jonah to. And so yeah. I think it's okay to ask them, just don't get lost yeah. in them. Yeah, I would say those are almost more entertainment style questions. Like you're studying Jonah, hopefully you're studying the main thrust of Jonah and why we have the mm -hmm. book of Jonah. But if you're one of those people who like to really study and get into things more, it's almost an entertainment style from there of like, uh, has anybody ever been swallowed by a fish before and lived that we have other documents? And like, mm -hmm. you said, like, if National Geographic is going to do a story on Jonah, they're going to highlight that part a lot, right? And try to do some tests and yeah. all this stuff. And that's more entertaining and more curiosity. But it, like you said, it's not the main thrust of the book. It's yeah. not the reason we have the book. Yeah, I can see how somebody's heart would be in the right place in terms of like an apologetics mm -hmm. mindset of answering skeptics who would say, see, the Bible's full of things that that's not even possible. Mm -hmm. Well, no, it's not. Not naturally speaking. You know, there's all kinds of things in the Bible that aren't naturally possible. Right. But, I mean, mm -hmm. we, we're not naturalists. You know, mm -hmm. we believe in a God that is able to do supernatural things. And so, but what you said, Spencer, is the thing. And, like, easy, e it's easy for a person that's trying to be mindful of skeptics that would see issues with this and want to dis totally discount the book for that. But you have to take the information that's given by the author of that book to try and divulge what they want you to come away with from this. Mm -hmm. um, they included all of the relevant information that you need to understand the message that they were trying to get across. And that that's important. And I think when you try to deviate from that, like you could have similar questions about the the Jesus growing up as a little boy. Those mm -hmm. that information's not included in the gospels because it's not relevant to the mm -hmm. message of the gospels. Right. Mm -hmm. You don't need to know. Mm -hmm. You don't need to know the exact nature of Jesus's relationship with his earthly father Joseph. Mm -hmm. You don't need to know that to understand what the point of the gospels are. Um, and you just have to understand that. Yeah. Yeah. So curiosity isn't necessarily bad, mm -hmm. but it can become bad if curiosity is what's starting to drive your whole understanding of Scripture just on top yeah. of it. That's it make, what you're chasing. And it makes sense. You, you even said this in your sermon um, regarding the, how we treat church. Like we come to church, one of y'all said it, we come to church sometimes thinking that we are going to give something to God when actually it's about God do, mm -hmm. doing something for us mm -hmm. and giving something to us. And I think that if you try to approach the Bible like that, you're approaching the Bible to satisfy your own interests at that point sometimes. Whereas like we actually need to approach the Bible with the mindset of God is trying to communicate something to me. What is he trying to communicate to me? That is much more important mm -hmm. to try to figure out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in looking at this prayer, I kind of broke it up into three sections. I think others have too. And I looked at commentaries and different things, but um, I labeled it Jonah's depravity in verses one through six, like first part of six, Jonah's salvation uh, the second part of 6 through 7, and then part of 9. And then Jonah's realization when salvation has come. And so we'll talk about that, I guess, uh, today. Um, in verses 1 through 6, it seems like Jonah is describing drowning. 
He's describing being thrown overboard, and it, it, he doesn't say they throw me overboard. It's, it's, he says, for you cast me into the deep, and he's talking to God. And so this, we see God orchestrating everything here, right? And that's what Jonah is recognizing, that God is sovereign in mm-hmm. all of this, and he's not, he's not mad at, at them or anything. He's saying, you cast me into the deep. And then there's just, it seems like this uh, flow of difficulty as soon as he hits the water because he's talking he's talking about in verse two his distress uh you answered me the belly of sheol i cried right you cast me into the deep into the sea the flood surrounded me so you almost have this picture all your waves and your billows passed over me you almost have this picture of him trying to stay up Right? He, he's trying to swim, he's trying to stay up, but he can't. And the waves and everything is just passing over him from this storm. It's just so difficult. And then he realizes, I'm driven from your sight. Right, I'm, I'm almost separated from you, this, this difficulty. And so it keeps going down, how the water closed over him, so sinking. The deep surrounded me. Weeds are wrapped around my head, you know, kelp or whatever it might mm-hmm. be. I just, I'm tangled in. I can't get out. It's over. Like, it, it's over for me. He says how he goes to the roots of the mountains all the way down. I went to the land whose bars, it's closed up. Mm-hmm. It's, it's done. Almost like, I can't fight anymore. I'm, mm-hmm. fighting a, I'm fighting a battle here that I just, I just can't fight anymore. And so when you look at it from a, a physical sense, uh, Jonah was in a, in a pretty difficult spot. I don't know if you guys have ever been, you know, swimming or something and someone's holding you underwater or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's horrible. Like it really is a panic driven mm-hmm. thing to think, what is this? I'm, I'm in trouble here and there's nothing that I can do. I think we can all kind of relate, relate to that. But um, what I tried to compare that to a little later, because I'm always trying to look at the story of Jonah, number one of what can we see from Jonah that kind of does relate to us? which I think is a valid question, but also how, I, how we end the sermon each time so far about Christ and Jonah, which mm-hmm. is really what we should be being pointed to. But for us, I think we can all think of times where physically maybe we felt not exactly like Jonah here, but helpless. But we know it's also talking about you know spiritually in the battle of, of life, this, this life that we live and how we can get to these points in our life where it feels like we are, we are drowning. Where we're just in a very, a very difficult situation. And I'm thankful that the Bible gives us these instances because if the Bible didn't do that, if the Bible was just a, a book about warriors conquering, mm-hmm. I I think I'd feel very disconnected from it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's it's good for us to see, and especially our culture, to see the struggles that the Bible actually does speak about for everybody, that, that normal, that, that normal life. I don't know. I don't know what you guys see like in the Christian world, but I kind of made mention of it in my sermon, how I'll watch, I'll watch uh, preachers who I don't agree with because mm-hmm. the message that they're giving, I think is just very not full of hope because they make life seem almost flowery or like Mm -hmm. this is what God wants for you to be in the meadow just singing Mm -hmm. and being great and that's just not well the way that you put it was that they're preaching to people with a fictitious understanding of what life is like yeah and it's almost like they don't acknowledge the reality that bad things happen in this world Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've just been stuck with Psalm 62, that verse that I read the other morning, that where it talks about a delusion, the, the rich are a delusion. And I just feel like I, I see that everywhere, where it just seems to be a delusion all over the place uh, of what hope is, what joy is, where peace can be found, mm-hmm. what really is satisfaction, what really is happiness. And we're chasing after this thing so many people, and it really is just a delusion. And I think that's why we see in our culture more and more depression and anxiety and frustration and hurt and anger and rage. And it's because the stuff that we are striving for that is supposed to appease us and help us is really just a delusion. And I think people just see that and realize that, and they don't know how to respond. They don't know how to respond to it. Mm-hmm. And we kind of see that with Jonah, right? He was living this delusion of, I'll just, I'll just run from God, right? I'll, I'll, just, I'll just go away. Mm-hmm. When, I think I mentioned this last week, he had to have known the psalm that David wrote that asked, where do I go to flee your presence? Like right. Jonah right. would have known that right. answer. Right. Nowhere. But yet he's trying to do that, and it's like delusional in mm-hmm. his head. Yeah. And this is where he finds himself yep. now in the pit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, no, this is this is outstanding stuff here because Jonah's trying to get away from the presence of the Lord, but the Lord hurls like a spear, a great wind right at Jonah and says, "No, you're I, I'm not just simply the God of the geographical Israel. I I'm I rule this whole planet. You're not going to be able to." Which is what he told those people right. on the boat. That's exactly, <laughs> and that's why they're so scared because Jonah says. I worship the Lord, the God who made heaven, who made the sea, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Mm -hmm. And they're thinking, your God made the land and the sea. Because remember, the pagan gods, you know, like Poseidon Mm -hmm. was the God of the sea. Yeah, they were. You weren't the God of everything. But that's what you've ticked off the God who made everything. So there's no escaping (laughs) from this God. And then they're like, well... You know, they were, they're going, they're debating on whether or not to follow Jonah's command, throw him in. And really, you're going to throw the prophet of that God into the sea if he's already ticked about this. Is he going to be even more angry if we throw him into the ocean? And so Jonah has been taught. And then what happens? What the Lord appoints a great fish. So Jonah can't escape the Lord's presence. There's a sense, um, in those verses you talked about Jonah's depravity, Jonah is going down. He's going through a near-death experience. Yeah. And the Lord's yeah. bringing him down. As close as you can get to death. Getting him down, <laughs> suffocating him, dragging him down to experience his dependence upon God, his need for the Lord. Luther, I was just reading about it today, Luther made a distinction between a theology of glory in a theology of the cross. The theology of glory is what natural man wants, which is success all the time, mm-hmm. uh, endless triumphs, victories, only positive light and all that stuff. But the theology of the cross teaches <clears throat> us that the way up is actually the way down and that we are called to bear our crosses every day and suffering comes and suffering is used by God for Christians not to punish us but to drive us closer to God. It actually works for our good. And that's what Jonah's learning here, is that by going down, he's actually um, being driven closer to the Lord than he was before. (laughs) It doesn't feel that way right then, but the Lord's going to use suffering. And you even see a little bit of faith in verse 4 when he says, I'm driven away from your sight, and yet he knows I shall look upon your holy temple. 
So I think that's an interesting verse. There's a mixture of despair and yet faith. Isn't that the way the Christian life is? So far in the story, all Jonah's wanted to do is get away from God. Right. Now, God is driving him away. Right. And and Jonah realizes, oh, wait, I don't actually want to be away from you. This is a bad bad place place to be. I mean, it's kind of similar to the prodigal son. I'm going to get away. He goes out into the world and realizes, actually, where I need to be is with my father. Like right. That's the best place to be. Yeah. And as Jonah hits the bottom of the ocean, mm-hmm. he's realizing, mm-hmm. I've been trying to run from you. Mm-hmm. And actually, now as you're driving me away, I realize that was a mistake. Mm-hmm. Right? I need to be close to you. I need mm-hmm. to be with you in your, in your holy temple. Mm-hmm. And so this word depravity is an important word. There's a reason that I used it because um, spiritually... This is how we see God work, I would say, most of the time. I would say everybody who has come to faith in Christ, who's been saved by His grace, has reached a point into their life to where they understood the depth of their sin, and they were faced with that reality. And it's one of those situations where like, you're standing at the cliff and you see the danger, you see the hopelessness. And that's where the good news of the gospel, though, then comes in. Mm-hmm. And you realize, I can't overcome this gulf. I can't overcome mm-hmm. this. But Christ has done it for me. But <clears throat> you don't understand the greatness of God and the true love of God until you understand that sin mm-hmm. component there. And so, as Christians, we understand what Jonah is going through here. At least we should with our own sin. And so I reference like Psalm 51, how David would talk about he was contrite. Just he had been pulverized by his sin to the point of no return until he, you know, looks to the Lord and the Lord grants him salvation and forgiveness. And so that depravity is very very important for the for the Christian life to understand. And it's something that even when we're saved by God's grace, We're free from that depravity because we understand what God has done, but we still, I don't know what the right word is. I don't want to say a word that's wrong. That's going to get rid of me. I'm like, we still almost taste it sometimes Mm -hmm. because we sin, right? It's still there. Yeah, it's still there. And there's just this like. Well, I think, but the reality is, and I think this is a a misconception about the Christian life, is because we talk about that theology of the cross versus theology of glory. And there's almost this idea that, oh, only one point in my Christian life, right <laughs> when I'm saved, do I suffer, and then everything's all good. Yeah, right. The reality is Jesus told us, and I'm, again, this is coming out of the vocation book, kind of pulling yeah. off that I just read today, but we bear our crosses daily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So every day, my cross is going to be God confronting me with my inability to do something. Yeah. Yeah. To fulfill the law, my inability to love him or my or physically I'm suffering or whatever. But that is every single day I'm to face that and then trust him again. And so there's this so in a sense, you get to you become first acquainted with your depravity when you're first converted, but then get used to that feeling somewhat. Mm-hmm. Because that's what it is to take up the cross mm-hmm. every day and to feel your inadequacy, your inability, mm-hmm. but to feel his power at mm-hmm. work because God has determined this is what our baptism symbolizes yeah he's determined to kill spencer right and to raise spencer new in jesus christ mm-hmm. and every day he's going to drown the old me like he's drowned at jonah right. he's going to raise us back up but that's mm-hmm. a daily process and 
I and think, I think and it's a good thing because yeah. the book of Hebrews tells us when we face these things that a good father disciplines his children. Yeah. And so I think a dangerous place to get as a Christian is when you get to that point to where you're not tasting that depravity anymore. You're just right. like, eh, right. sin is sin. You know, God forgives me of it. Right. It's actually a good thing that God right. pricks our hearts to say, that's wrong. Right. That's wrong. And you should feel bad about that, right? This is what Christ mm-hmm. died for for you. And you keep doing this. You need to repent of this. Mm-hmm. Like having that daily yeah. reminder and is then, a good gift from God, I and think. And then his power at work to help you then to love your neighbor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You do experience growth, yeah. mm-hmm. but it happens in a way that, and God works in a way to do that that we would not have chosen to do it. Mm-hmm. But we do start to to see growth, and, and, and we <clears> want that. I'm not saying we, did not, we don't want to pursue that, or we should, we should oh, expect right. progression in sanctification, but... Mm-hmm. It happens in a way that is goes against the ordinary way we might expect mm-hmm. it to. So we see the picture that God brings the fish along. Nobody else could bring this fish, right? God, it says, appoints this fish to swallow Jonah. And then at the end, like you said, it brackets the prayer that later this fish will vomit uh, Jonah out when God says, kind of, I'm done with Jonah mm-hmm. now, vomit him out onto the ground. But this fish is salvation. We see God mm-hmm. providing salvation for for Jonah, and even Jonah recognizes this because he declares it. He declares salvation is of the Lord. Um, and he says it twice. He says it in, I think he says it twice. Anyways, I know he says it once, at least in verse 9. Um, salvation belongs to the Lord, he says. And um, and so he's recognizing this with the with the fish. And I don't want to just skip over this because it's a, it is an important point, but we've already kind of said that, that it is the Lord who provides salvation. Jonah could not save himself at all in this situation. And it's the same with us spiritually. You cannot save yourself. You cannot deal with your sin. It's impossible to do. Sadly, there's a lot of people trying. Um, but all they're going to find is that they get stuck in the weeds and stuck in the kelp, just like Jonah. And there's no hope down there in yourself. But salvation comes from the Lord. But Jonah realizes, uh, I, I said four things. When he talks about salvation coming from the Lord, all of a sudden it's like, Jonah's demeanor changes, and we see four things is what I what I wrote down. Um, first was true worship in verse 8, because he says he's going to worship the Lord. He talks about the vain idols. Now, a lot of the commentaries say what Jonah actually is doing here is he's like being representative of Israel, who at this time, there was idol worship within mm-hmm. Israel. You know, because you have the kings who build the Asherah poles. You have the kings that it says, and they did not obey the Lord. They did evil in the Lord. And so it's it's Jonah calling out almost to Israel, being a representative of Israel, saying, these idols, what you're doing when you worship these idols is you're forsaking the steadfast love of the Lord that he has promised you. He's promised you all this great love, and you're forsaking that to bow down to this. Yeah. How dumb, right? How foolish is that? And Jonah's realizing that, so he's... He's realizing, first and foremost, the salvation from the Lord evokes him to worship. Uh, but it's a worship that's thankful. right? So then you see thanksgiving. You see him thanking the Lord for his steadfast love. And he says in verse 9, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. And so then there's this sacrificial element to it. of Not, not of bulls, of goats, of rams, it seems here, but more of like, what Paul talks about in Romans 12 of a living of a of a mm-hmm. sacrifice. I I am a sacrifice to you. What you had mentioned, like the daily carrying my cross, is me daily saying, I'm sacrificing my life to you. Whatever you have, whatever you want, whatever you desire, I want to be here for that. And then 
you see the commitment of where he says, what I have vowed, I will, I will pay. Um, and so this willingness to see it through all the way to the end. And so it's like Jonah just kind of flipped, flipped, the, flipped the script here. And I think he gives us a good way to live as Christians. We see kind of some New Testament truths that Paul talks about later. We see it here with Jonah mm-hmm. in, the belly, in the belly of a fish of how salvation brings out worship, thanksgiving, sacrifice, commitment, but not the other way around. Mm. I think that's important. His realization of salvation did these things. It wasn't, I'm going to worship you to have thanksgiving, uh, sacrifice to you and commit my life to you so that you will save me. Right. It was because you have saved me. Now, the, why is that important? Why is the order of those important? Of salvation results now in these things instead of these things result in salvation. Why is that important? I think one of them is a as a works based mm-hmm. uh, righteousness. Yeah. In a sense, right? I mean, if you're doing those things and that's what results in that, I mean, it just it's. It's, I mean, something like that is impossible to maintain, I think, as well. And so you'll eventually see that you're not able to sacrifice enough. You're not able to be thankful enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll, you'll lose your luster, you know. Um, I mean, you talk to people. I talked to somebody yesterday who was um, just kind of mournful about the fact that they are, their relationship with the Lord didn't seem to be as on fire as it was, you know, before. And that's the danger of basing your relationship with the Lord on the way you feel about something is that the way you feel will change. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's it's not steady ground mm-hmm. in the end. Mm-hmm. Well, and in Jonah's situation, if he had to worship God, be thankful, sacrifice, and have commitment <clears throat> while he's drowning down to the bottom, he's in trouble. The fish mm-hmm. never comes mm-hmm. because he can't do that stuff right. in that instance. And so the picture we have is a God who saves mm-hmm. regardless of who you are. He mm-hmm. saves because he, he saved Jonah because he wanted to save Jonah. And we're going to get to that kind of in the, in the next chapter, chapter 3, um, something I was reading today. It is a good question. There had to be somebody better than Jonah at this point to tell to go to Nineveh. Like, Jonah's disqualified himself. Why does God give Jonah the opportunity to come and to talk again? Why did, you know, why all of this? And really the simple answer is because that's what God wanted. God wanted Jonah. Mm-hmm. God wanted to save Jonah. God wanted to use Jonah. It shows the love that he had for Jonah even in his rebellion. Mm-hmm. Right? Even God had chosen us. This was God's sovereign plan, what was going to take place, and God was going to orchestrate it to happen. Of what might have seemed like just coincidence. A storm came up. Coincidence. No, Jonah recognized. No, that storm was for me. Mm-hmm. That storm was to get my attention. That fish, coincidence? No, that was that was the salvation that God gave me, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so all these things, um, we see the the goodness of God and the and the sovereignty of God uh, in it. Uh, well, real quickly, because I guess I don't want to miss this point, but uh, I want to keep reminding us too: Jesus compares himself to Jonah in Matthew, and so inserting Jesus into this and saying that Jonah is a type of of Christ that we see in the Old Testament pointing us forward to where Jesus, I keep saying this, Jesus is a better Jonah. Just like I would have said, like we said with David, Jesus is a better King David. He's a better. And this week I said something as well, though. Not only is he a better Jonah, but what we have to know, Jesus is a better me. I can't be my Savior. Just like Jonah could not save himself, 
Jonah, Jonah couldn't even save himself. And what we see in Christ is Christ compares his three days in the grave to Jonah's three days in the fish. Uh, while God is providing grace for Jonah in that belly, what Jesus does, those three days in the ground, provides grace for all those who will be saved. And that includes me mm-hmm. in that instance. That includes you guys. That includes those who by faith trusted in the Lord and been saved. And, and so when we look at this story of Jonah, really there's not many opportunities to praise Jonah, actually, as we go through it. Um, but as we go, Jonah, hopefully we see the greatness of, of Jesus and what he accomplished and what he has done and what he has provided for us. And we, we look to him uh, for our salvation really on a, on a daily basis. It's something that holds us, that sustains us, that helps us, helps us through everything we do. That is our motivation for what we do and how we live and why we live. Um, and that needs to keep being brought up as we, as we go through Jonah. I don't want us to miss that point, that Jesus is even present in this little book um, there in the mm-hmm. Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to reiter- keep reiterating that because I, I know some people push back against that when it comes to Old Testament stuff. Like, you're just throwing Jesus in there, and that's not true. It shouldn't be there. But Jesus himself threw him. He threw himself into this Mm -hmm. story there in Matthew Mm -hmm. um, when he quoted it there. You guys got anything else that I missed or no? All right. Well, we'll be continuing on with Jonah 3 and 4 the next couple weeks. So next week he goes into Nineveh. I mean, you talk about just a dynamite sermon from Jonah of what he says to the Ninevites. (laughs) Uh, just maybe that's what we need to do is walk around and say that and God will work. Anyways, we'll get there. And then and then we really see another sad fall of Jonah in chapter 4 and God ending the whole book with a question that we all know the answer to uh, when we get to chapter 4. So hopefully you'll read ahead and look at it and we'll have a good time studying it together. So look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Hope you have a good rest of your week.